It is the best-selling book in history. No volume ever written has been more loved and quoted. And its words, sometimes simple and sometimes mysterious, should always be studied carefully. It is the Bible, the Word of God. Welcome to Bible Answers Live, providing accurate and practical answers to all your Bible questions. This broadcast is a previously recorded episode. To receive any of the Bible resources mentioned in this broadcast, call 800-835-6747. Once again, that's 800-835-6747. Now, here's your host from Amazing Facts International, Pastor Doug Batchelor. Hello, listening friends. Would you like to hear an amazing fact? A married couple has a slightly higher chance of having a baby boy than a girl about 51%. Generally speaking, across the globe, there are about 104 baby boys born for every 100 girls. Sadly, more females die in miscarriages. But partly because they take more risks, more boys die between birth and 18, which would mean but by the time they get to marrying age, there's a perfect one-for-one ratio of boys and girls. It is absolutely fascinating how God has designed things where there's almost the exact same number as boys that survive to marrying age as there are girls. Science has no good explanation how random evolution could ever account for this perfect ratio. This also explodes the notion that it was God's plan for a man to have multiple wives. For one Adam, there was one Eve. That's right, Pastor Doug. The Bible makes it clear that it was God's purpose that Adam and Eve were to be united in marriage. And that, of course, through that wonderful relationship of marriage, we have a type of the relationship that God wants us to have with him. In the Bible, Christ is described as the bride. The church is often, or as the groom, the church is often described as the bride. But, you know, when you think about it, it's very clear that God has created marriage and he purposed marriage from the very beginning. When man tries to manipulate or change what God has established, the results are always bad. That's right. You know, Jesus made it pretty clear in Matthew 19, verse 4 through 6. And he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he that made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they're no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, let not man put asunder or man separate. You notice it says, A man will be joined to his wife. Someone was teasing Benjamin Franklin once, and they said, You can't show me anywhere in the Bible that says a man cannot have more than one wife. And Franklin said, well, that's easy. The Bible says no man can serve two masters. So actually, it does say that. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, welcome, friends. And uh, if you'd like to be part of the program tonight, we encourage you to give us a call. It's 800-463-7297. And uh, that's 800-GOD-SAYS. We are streaming on the Internet. uh, It's on Amazing Facts uh, Television. Um, What is it? The Amazing Facts Facebook page? YouTube, Doug Batchelor Facebook page, a lot of ways people can tune in. And friends, once again, we did open by talking about marriage. And if you'd like to learn more about marriage, you do have a free gift. It's called The Keys to a Happy Marriage. And that is our free gift. And we'll be happy to send it to anyone who calls and asks. The number is 800-835-6747. You can ask for offer number 164. 
uh, or ask for it by name. It's called Keys for a Happy Marriage. That's 800-835-6747. And if you'd like to ask a Bible question on the air tonight, the number here in the studio is 800-463-7297. That's 800-463-7297. That'll bring you here into the studio. Well, Pastor, like before we uh, take the calls, as we always do, we like to be mm-hmm. with prayer. So let's do that at this time. Dear Father, we thank you for this opportunity to be able to open up your word and study. And Father, as we always do, we recognize that you are the author of the scriptures. You inspired people of old to to write the Bible. And in order for us to understand it, we need the leading of the Holy Spirit. Be with those who are listening, wherever they might be. And Lord, we ask your blessing upon us here in the studio as we search the scriptures. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, Pastor Doug, we are ready to go to the phone lines, but uh, to be honest to our listeners out there, I can't hear anything. I don't know if you can. I don't hear you. I don't hear anything. (laughs) They might be able to hear us, but I don't think we'll be able to hear the calls, but we're going to give it a try and see what happens. We've got Gary listening in Illinois. Gary, welcome to the program. Are you on the air? Hi, Gary. Yes, we can hear you. Matthew 24 says in verses 6 and 7, you'll see plagues and pestilence, wars and rumors of wars, earthquakes. We're seeing plenty of that happen, but I'm not seeing Matthew 24, 24 happen. False Christ showing great signs and wonders to deceive. Is that the final final event before Christ's coming, or is, is the false Christ performing signs and powers and wonders? You know, to deceive? Yeah, yeah, it is going to be one of the great final signs that uh, Satan is going to impersonate Christ. You know, the devil's accusation is God came to the earth to show the truth in Jesus. The devil is saying, well, I want to either possess a person or create the illusion of a human to share my theory. And so um, Satan is going to impersonate Christ, and I'm sure it will be accompanied with signs and wonders and some of them will be illusions, counterfeit signs. Uh, the Bible talks about them being deceiving uh, devils. So, yeah, I think that uh, uh, that is going to be one of the, Now, there, there have been other times in history you've got people, false Christ that do miracles, or at least, I mean, there's some televangelists out there that at least pretend to do miracles. Some of them might use, uh, you know, some kind of supernatural uh, demonic delusions. It's hard to say, uh, I think some are just plain frauds, but there can be false prophets through history. Even the Bible speaks of in the time of the apostles, was it that magician uh, Simon? They said he did many mighty things, probably under the power of the devil. Mm-hmm. The, fa- the magicians of the Pharaoh, they threw down their rods and they became serpents, or at least looked like it. And Jesus said with reference to the last days, there will be those who say, Lord, Lord, did we not perform miracles and cast out devils and do many wonders in your name? Yeah. Jesus says, I never knew you. We do have a study guide. It's called, Does God Inspire Psychics and Astrologists? And we'll be happy to send this to you. It talks about the warning that we have about false Christ spoken of in the Bible. The number for that is 800-835-6747. That is the resource phone line. You can just ask for the study guide, Does God Inspire um, Psychics and Astrologists? And we'll be happy to send it out to anyone who calls and asks. Thank you, Gary. We've got Anna listening in Oregon. Anna, welcome to the program. Hi, good evening, pastors. Evening. My question is, well, it's from two different books. It's from Luke 17:6 and Matthew 17:20. And it has to do with having the faith of a mustard seed. Okay. If you have the faith as big as a mustard seed, you could 
basically do anything. And I just want you to maybe expound on that for me. Yeah, of course. Jesus talked about faith all the time. Uh, so many times when Christ healed somebody, he never said, my faith made you whole. He said, your faith has made you whole. One man said, Lord, if you, can you heal my son if you can do anything? And Jesus said, if you believe, all things are possible. And then, of course, he said, if you've got faith as a mustard seed, one place he talks about faith, you can move mountains. And here it says that you can uh, have a mulberry be pulled up by the roots and planted in the sea. And so, um, yeah, faith is, I think, crucial to uh, anything. The, the big area where Jesus emphasizes we need faith is faith that he can save us from our sins. Uh, you know, we don't need the Lord to move mountains and cast them into the sea. The Bible says he takes our sins and casts them into the depths of the sea. And we're all being crushed under this mountain of guilt and sin. And by believing in the sacrifice of Jesus and his power to give us new hearts, it becomes a reality. And when we trust in him and we pray and believe he's going to forgive our sins, when we believe he forgives our sins, we instantly feel better just because of our faith. So one way I might illustrate that, Anna, is if, if uh, some crazy person on the street hands you a check for a million dollars, you probably wouldn't get too excited. But if uh, Jeff Bezos or Bill Gates handed you a check for a million dollars, you would be really happy even before you took the check to the bank because you would have faith that there was money behind it. So when you have faith in God, all things are possible. And I think the point you emphasized there, Pastor Doug, is important that God is not asking us to do sort of miracles to impress our neighbors and our friends. Mm -hmm. But true faith will always result in a deeper trust in Christ as our personal Savior and an earnest willingness to do what he asks us to do. Yeah. So faith is connected with works. You read that in James. So it's not just a type of supernatural power. Matter of fact, we need to be careful of people that are claiming to have supernatural powers just to impress others. But the true faith of the Bible always results in repentance and a humbling of the heart. And yes, and that's not to say God doesn't answer prayers. Uh, we've seen all kinds of miraculous answers to prayer. I could just start going through a list right now of things the Lord has done that I think folks would say, well, that really was a miracle. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean, you know, somebody's arm grew back into place, but just incredible things happen when you lose something, the odds of it finding again are a million to one and you pray and you find it. So God does answer prayers and move mountains. Thank you, Anna. I appreciate that. We've got Glenn listening in Ohio. Glenn, welcome to the program. Good evening, pastors, and thank you for taking my call. A pleasure. You know, people people do not like Judas of Iscariot because he betrayed Jesus. But somebody had to do that. In the Valley of Dry Bones, they're mad at Hitler for his part in the Holocaust. Somebody had to do that. And then, yes, we go all the way back to the beginning of time. In order for people don't like Lucifer because he's responsible for entering sin into the world. But somebody had to do that. And we're all guilty. We're all guilty of sin. We know that all of sin. But if God is to be who He says He is, and He would that none should perish, and that all should come to repentance, Philippians two ten, that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. If that's the case, and His perfect will is exercised, who's left on the earth to endure the eternal punishment? 
All right. Well, first of all, I'm going to uh, have an issue with some things you said when you, you said that someone had to do it speaking of uh, Judas. And then I thought I heard you say someone had to do the Holocaust speaking of Hitler as though God intended for that to happen. Uh, I don't believe he did. I, I don't think it was God's will for Judas to be a betrayer. Uh, Jesus said it would have been better if he had not been born. And uh, Judas, uh, God knew what was going to happen. God knows all things, but it doesn't mean God's making it happen. A lot of things that are happening in the world today, the sin and the suffering are not God's will. That's why in the Lord's Prayer, we pray, thy will be done. If God's will is always being done, well, that's what the, uh, the Muslims say. Whatever happens, that's the will of Allah. We don't believe that way. As Christians, we believe that there's a battle between the will of selfishness and the devil and evil and the will of God, which is one of love. And um, we know in the end, God's kingdom will ultimately triumph, but all of the misery, sin, and suffering in the world today was not God's will. And who will, uh, everyone's going to bow to Christ in the end because it just be overwhelmed by the righteousness of God. And you're speaking of Philippians there. But uh, you've got one group that's been washed and saved, and the other group's going to perish and be cast into the lake of fire. Scriptures are very clear about that. So hopefully that makes sense. You know, we do have a study guide that talks about is the devil in charge of hell? And it will explain how God separates the sheep from the goats. And uh, we'll be happy to send you a free copy of that, Glenn. The number to call for that is 800-835-6747. You can ask for the study guide. It's called, Is the Devil in Charge of Hell? And it is true, as you mentioned in Philippians chapter 2, a time will come where everyone will acknowledge that Jesus is Lord, but it's not a true confession. It's not a true repentance, I should say. It's a true confession, but not a true repentance, like Judas, who threw the money down after he realized that um, he had betrayed Christ, and then he went out and he hung himself. That wasn't genuine repentance. Yeah, or when the Pharaoh said he repented, Mm. he repented the consequences of the sin. He didn't repent of what he had done. That's right. All right, thank you. Anthony is in New Jersey. Anthony, welcome to the program. Hi, pastors. Thank you for taking my call. Yeah. Thank you. All right, so my question is on uh, Matthew 12, about the unpardonable sin, verse 31 and 32. Um, If I could read it real quick, because especially 32, it's very specific. It gives detail. So, 31, because of this, I say to you, every sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven to men, but the blasphemy concerning the Spirit shall not be forgiven to men. And whoever, in 32, here we go, and whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven him, not in this age, nor the coming one. So this age being the one we are in right now, same age with, with Yeshua, the coming one being the thousand-year millennium. But we know there's an age after that when the books are open and, you know, the lake of fire is there. But apparently the uh, unpardonable sin may be pardonable after the thousand-year millennium. Oh, I think I see what you're saying. Uh, You know, I think when Jesus said it's not to be forgiven in this life or in the world to come, he's making a pretty absolute statement 
that those that grieve away the Holy Spirit and go too far, there is no more forgiveness. That's why he's warning so carefully against committing the unpardonable sin. He said, you know, other sins, all kinds of sins and blasphemy. God is so merciful. He's forgiven murder and adultery and all kinds of things. What does he mean when he says, do not sin against the Holy Spirit? Go up a little higher in the same passage, and they're accusing Jesus of casting out devils and doing miracles by the power of the devil. In other words, they are resisting the evidence of the Holy Spirit. They're refusing to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit and the proof of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said, if you reject the Holy Spirit, if you blaspheme the work of the Holy Spirit, there's no way that God can reach you. So the way the Lord reaches us as the Holy Spirit brings conviction and we turn to the Lord and brings repentance. If we reject the medium through which God brings us to repentance and saves us, there is nothing else God can do to save us. And that's when you can go beyond mercy. And I've actually written a book. We can share a copy of that with you. And it's, be, it's called, you know, what is the sin uh, of the unpardonable sin? I think it's called Beyond Mercy, What is the Unpardonable Sin? And we'll send you a free copy of that, Anthony, and I encourage you to read that. And there, people are not going to be forgiven after the millennium. You know, there's another verse that comes to mind, Romans chapter 2, verse 4. It says, Or do you despise the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that it's the goodness of God that leads you to repentance? So without the goodness of God, without the Spirit of God leading a person, they can't even get to the point of repentance. And right. repentance is needed for forgiveness. So someone who has grieved away the Holy Spirit or blasphemed against the Holy Spirit. One other thing on that passage, the word blasphemy in the Bible has two connotations. One is putting oneself in the place of God, and the other one is claiming to be able to forgive sins. So if somebody excuses their sins, says, ah, it's not, not, not that important. Or if they try to put themselves in the place of God in their own mind and thinking, and they're rejecting the promptings of the Holy Spirit, that's leading towards blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. All right, well, thank you for your call. Uh, again, the number is 800-835-6747, and you can ask for that book on the unpardonable sin, and we'll be happy to send it to anyone who calls and asks for it. I think it's called Beyond Mercy, Pastor, like you mentioned the name. 800-835-6747. We've got Beverly listening in Georgia. Beverly, welcome to the program. Hey, Pastor Doug, Pastor John Ross. Thank you all guys for taking my um, question. Yeah. Okay, here's what I got. I got two um, Bible um, scriptures. The first one is Leviticus 20.13. So I'm going to read it from the King James. If a man also lie with mankind as he lieth with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They surely should be put to death. Their blood should be upon them. Okay, let's go to Second Timothy 3, verses 2 through 5. For, a man should be, for men should be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemous, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. Without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good. Traitors, uh, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God. Now here's where it's coming home for me. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such to turn away. So, pastors, here is my question. As a Christian, should I be supporting 
the LBGQ plus community? Uh, well, <laughs> no, uh, that, that's in a two letter answer. The, the agenda that is being pushed on our culture today, both in North America and many other countries, that we should view homosexual relationships as normal and valid and approved and even uh, redefine them as marriage is categorically uh, against the teachings of Scripture. And so it, even though our culture is trying to redefine uh, gender, as I said in our uh, verse, Jesus said in the beginning, God made them male and female. And obviously the males and females, husband and wife, they go together. But we're in a very confused culture right now when it comes to what they call sexual orientation. I think we should love people. I think we ought to do everything we can to bring all kinds of people to the Lord and love and win them. That might mean telling them what the Bible says about sin so they repent of their sins. But as far as endorsing the behavior of, of the uh, alphabet community, uh, no, I don't think so. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, Pastor. You know, the Bible make, makes it very clear that we love people, but we're not necessarily endorsing bad behavior of people, meaning contradicting the word of God, which is sin. Yeah. Sin is defined as the transgression of the law. So we're all sinners. We all need to come to the point of repentance. But if we're wishing to try and redefine what sin is, uh, how can God bring us to a point of repentance? Yeah. If we want to acknowledge what the Bible teaches. Exactly. A sin is the transgression of the law. People need to turn from and repent of their sins. And that is one of the things the Bible identifies as sin. Right up there with lying and adultery and murder. These are all sins. And uh, as you read there from Leviticus, it's pretty clear that uh, living out homosexual behavior is a sin. All right. Next caller that we have is Robert listening in Colorado. Robert, welcome to the program. Yeah, good evening, pastors. I have a question for you on Matthew 27, uh, verse 52 and 53 says that when Jesus died, that uh, the graves were open and uh, some people were resurrected. The saints were resurrected and they went in and uh, showed themselves in the cities. Mm -hmm. Some people think that after that time, they were translated to heaven. And then my question is, there's no reference to what happened to them after that. Did they live like, uh, you know, like uh, Lazarus, where they had to live their life out again and then die and and uh, and wait for the second coming? Or did they actually get translated to heaven? Yeah, I would say the latter, that they, and I think Pastor Ross is looking up a verse now, if I'm not mistaken. I, I think they did ascend to heaven. First of all, if they're resurrected, unlike Lazarus, they're not resurrected with a, an old body. These are some of the saints that slept around Jerusalem that may have dated back to you know, Isaiah, I mean, we, we don't know who they were, but it's a limited number, a special resurrection that was something of a trophy that Christ took to heaven with him when he ascended. So it says that their graves were opened during the earthquake, but they did not ascend to heaven. It says they appeared to the city, probably, you know, during the Sabbath and Sunday when he told Mary, don't touch me, if not yet ascended to my father. When he did ascend, I believe they ascended with him. And here's the verse, Pastor Doug, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 8, it says, quoting from the Old Testament, therefore he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. So the captivity are those who are held captive by the grave or death. Those are the ones who were resurrected at the time of Christ's death during the earthquake. 
But then it says he gave gifts to men. So you, as Christ ascended to heaven, he led those who were resurrected at that point in time. And afterwards, there was a special manifestation of the gift of the Holy Spirit that came upon the apostles there That's in the right. upper room. Thank you. So I hope that helps a little bit. We might have time for one more, Pastor Ross, before our break. We've got James listening in Texas. James, welcome to the program. Yes, sir. Can you hear me? I can. Okay. My question for tonight is, I'm a, can I be baptized myself or does it have to be done by a pastor or a priest or something? Normally, the examples we all see in the Bible would be, it says that the apostles baptized, uh, you know, uh, Jesus was baptized by John. I mean, Jesus could have baptized himself, but he said, John, you need to do it. It needs to be done by someone else. The others were baptized by John the Baptist. Jesus' apostles were sent out to baptize. Uh, Philip baptized the Ethiopian eunuch. Uh, Paul baptized the Ephesian jailer, or Philippian jailer, I should say. There are rare occasions where a person may be the only believer in a country. And I've heard stories of people that says, I wanted to give my heart to the Lord. I wanted to be baptized. There was no other believer. I was in, you know, a Hindu or Muslim country. And I just prayed and I went out in the river and I said, Lord, I'm giving myself to you. And they dunked themselves. And I think in rare occasions like that, God might uh, wink and smile and accept that. But typically a person is taught first and they're cleared. So those who are baptized into Christ, it's understood that they are making a commitment. They need to know what that commitment involves. It'd be like two people marrying themselves. I mean, usually marriage is performed in the presence of witnesses by someone who officiates. Baptism is like a marriage to Christ. So normally, yes, someone else should be doing that. There are rare occasions where I think that God has winked at a person's inability to have anyone else do it and has accepted them doing it themselves. Well, you know, we do, we do have a book. It's called Baptism Is Really Necessary? Yeah. And it deals with the subject. Of course, we have many examples in the New Testament of people that were baptized. And of course, we believe that's still um, valid today. Yeah. If you'd like to receive the book, the number to call is 800-835-6747. You can ask for the book, Baptism Is It Really Necessary? And we'll be happy to send it to anyone who calls and asks. Again, that's 800 835 and, you know, Pastor Doug, we've been mentioning uh, a number of free resources, but uh, for those who are listening outside of North America, if they'd like to access any of these free materials and additional study uh, resources, just go to the website at amazingfacts.org. Minute and a half. Can we do a question? We can give it a try. All right, let's see. we got Aaron. <laughs> Aaron, welcome to the program. We have about one and a half minutes. Good evening, Pastors. Here's my question. Did the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70 happen exactly 40 years after the death of Jesus? If not, is there a reason why it did not? Well, I don't know that it happened exactly 40 years after his death, but there seems to be evidence it happened about 40 years after he prophesied it. He does say in Matthew 24, and I think it's also in Luke 21, and uh, maybe it's in Mark 13, um, that this generation would not pass away till all these things were fulfilled. And he was talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. That was, I think, about 31, uh, or that may have been 30 or 31 AD. It, the destruction of Jerusalem actually began almost exactly 40 years after that, because the temple wasn't destroyed until 70 AD, but the war with the Jews began and the destruction before that. So it would be almost exactly 40 years after Jesus predicted that. 
Anyway, hope that helps a little bit. Uh, Friends, we're going to be taking a brief break, but just before we go to that, I want to remind you that so much of what Amazing Facts offers can be found on our website, which is amazingfacts.org. There are YouTubes and Bible studies and sermons and archives of these programs. Don't go away. Coming back for some fresh Bible questions in a moment. Stay tuned. Bible Answers Live will return shortly. Jerusalem, the city of peace, has been a place of unending conflict for centuries. Many now believe that Jerusalem will soon take center stage again. But what does the Bible say? The fall and rise of Jerusalem presents the vital history you need to know about Jerusalem and its role in end-time Bible prophecy. This Amazing Facts edition of the classic volume, The Great Controversy, is the perfect sharing book. Get your copy at afbookstore.com. Are you looking for a simple way to share your faith? If you've ever found yourself tongue-tied when trying to explain what the Bible teaches about the Sabbath, the Second Coming, or the afterlife, you'll love the new Amazing Facts tracts. These colorful tracts feature easy-to-read type and are large enough to grab everyone's attention, but small enough to fit in your pocket to carry with you wherever you go. Eleven key Bible teachings are available now. Purchase a sample bundle to see what fits your needs, then buy them in bulk and save. Equip yourself and your church to reach your community with the eye-catching Amazing Facts Tracks. Amazing Facts Tracks, easy to read, easy to share. To order your sample bundle, call 800-538-7275 or visit afbookstore.com and get ready to share your faith like never before. You're listening to Bible Answers Live, where every question answered provides a clearer picture of God and His plan to save you. So what are you waiting for? Get practical answers about the good book for a better life today. This broadcast is a previously recorded episode. If you'd like answers to your Bible-related questions on the air, please call us next Sunday between 7 p.m. and 8 p.m. Pacific Time. To receive any of the Bible resources mentioned in this evening's program, call 800-835-6747. Once again, that's 800-835-6747. Now, let's rejoin our hosts for more Bible Answers Live. Welcome back, listening friends, to Bible Answers Live. And if you have any Bible questions, we invite you to give us a call. The number is 800-GOD-SAYS. That's 800-463-7297. We're streaming on AF, the Facebook page, Amazing Facts Facebook page, the Doug Batchelor Facebook page, on YouTube, on AFTV, and uh, as well as some other stations. And a lot of stations carry the program as a rerun. And we encourage you to, uh, you can go to our station log and find out some of the different places you can hear the program again through the week. My name is Doug Batchelor. My name is John Ross, and we've got a number of folks who are standing by with their Bible question. Peter in New Jersey. Peter, welcome to the program. Pastor Romans 1 talks about reprobates, and these are people that God has given over to their wickedness, and I I do believe we're seeing a lot more of that as time goes on. Would you agree with that? And uh, are they beyond salvation, and how should we uh, act? around them. I, I myself want to uh, turn away from them, as uh, some verses indicate that there are people that we should turn away from, 
but uh, I, I want to know, are they beyond salvation, and how should we act around them, and do you see a rise in reprobates? Well, the Bible's clear, I think, that in the last days, evil men and seducers will wax worse and worse. Uh, the devil is getting better at what he does as time goes by, and uh, you know, much of the world is going to be sold out to the devil in the last days when the whole mark of the beast scenario is played out. So yes, evil is growing worse. Um, it's hard for us to know a person's heart and know if they've grieved away the spirit and if there's nothing, you know, no redeemable qualities. I think no matter what, Christians ought to be kind to everybody. We should represent Christ to everybody. And even those who are crucifying Jesus, Jesus did not revile them. But he said, Father, forgive them. And so it, it really challenges our love muscles when we're around people that seem to be just sold out to the devil to still show the love of God and the kindness of the Savior. So that doesn't mean you need to spend a lot of time casting your pearls before swine and trying to, you know, witness and work with people that really seem like they've shut the door. You want to be working where people are open. Jesus said when he sent out the apostles, sometimes people rejected the truth. He said, shake the dust off your feet and go somewhere else. So um, it's the same thing in working with people. All right. Thank you. Thank you. We've got Don listening in Texas. Don, welcome to the program. D Don in Texas, are you there? Don might be muted. Don, you're on, but we don't hear you. All right. We might come back to Don. We've got Christian in Texas as well. Christian, welcome to the program. Hello. Can you hear me? Yes. Oh, greetings. Um, I really love your ministries. Let me make this quick. Uh, I'm living uh, under my parents' authority, and uh, I am asking what I should do if my parents prohibit me from keeping the Sabbath. Yeah, that can be a real challenge. Of course, the Bible says we should honor our mother and father, and then also there are Bible commands. Um, I would, I, as gently as you could, I'd reason with your parents and say, appeal to them and say, you know, mom, dad, I love you. I respect you. But I've been convinced from reading the Bible, you might even open the Bible and show it to them that this is one of the 10 commandments. And uh, I want to do my best to observe his commandments and hope that they'll be open to that. I've had people call before and they say, Pastor Doug, you know, I live at home and my mother and my father, they want me to be dishonest and steal and lie about my age or do something dishonest. What do I do? I want to honor them, but they want me to lie to get in somewhere and say I'm under 12 and I'm not, <laughs> you know, and, uh, oh, and, and I say, I think sometimes you need to put your obedience to God ahead of your parents, but it is a very difficult thing when you have to do that because, um, uh, you know, I think the Lord understands the struggle when young people go through that. And it's also there's, you know, couples where one is a believer, one is not. And it's especially hard on wives when they say to their husband, you know, I believe and I'm going to go to church and I want to take the kids. He says, well, I don't believe I don't want you to. Just it becomes, uh, yeah, you really need to pray. God will work on the hearts of the people in authority. Well, you know, we do have that quote of the uh, commandment that says, honor your mother and your father. And you read that in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. But Paul adds something. He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. So absolutely, the commandment says that we are to honor our mother and our father. But there is a caveat, and that is in the Lord. So the Lord needs to be first yeah, in all of is, our decision making. Exactly. Good point. Thank you. Hope that helps a little, Christian. We've got Angela listening in Illinois. Angela, welcome to the program. 
Hi, thank you. Um, I have a question in regards to Job uh, 4. Um, it's uh, 16 through, well, I'm sorry, 15 through 17, and it's regarding Eliezer, Eliasus. Yes. Um, the Timnite, and when he talks about this spirit that swept over his face and how his hair stood on, you know, stood um, on end, I was just wondering, is that spirit, was it a demonic spirit or was it an angel? You know, I, I don't know that it was either. I think the word in the Hebrew here is that a wind, um, that word, and I, I was going to just look it up here because I've got a Bible program that may help me find that for you real quick, but it may be the Hebrew word Roach, which would be, um, oh no, it, it's a different word. No, it, it says a supernatural being. Yeah. Well, first of all, they're speaking in poetry. Um, the prose and the poetry in Job is some of the most beautiful and ancient in the world. And so Eliphaz is talking about this spirit, this impression. He was frightened and uh, that went by. Um, and he asked, can a mortal man be more righteous than God? And he's, they're looking at Job's suffering and they're thinking, if he's a good man, why would he be suffering bad things? Is God not as just as man is? It's interesting that Abraham voices the same kind of question when he said, shall not the judge of the earth do right? When he was appealing for Sodom and Gomorrah. So this is just part of their debate. And he kind of paints the picture um, where he felt like this spirit spoke to him and uh, the hair of his head stood up. <laughs> Can a man be more righteous than God? So I, I think it's more poetic language than that. He actually had an angelic visitation. And it is interesting. Not everything that Job's friend said was necessarily rightfully reflecting God. Now I think the point could be made here that this is a true statement. Can mortal man be more just than God? But later on in the book of Job, you read how that God says to Job, you need to offer a sacrifice for them because they didn't speak of me aright or correctly. So not everything that they said was necessarily a correct reflection of the character of God. Well, thank you. Appreciate your question, Angela. We've got Justin in Canada. Justin, welcome to the program. Thank you. Um, I just have a question about how to work out tithe. If it's before tax, after tax, or after expenses, because I've worked it out after tax. And at this point in my life, it seems like a little unmanageable at the moment, but um, I just wanted to follow whatever is biblically correct. Okay, good. Um, you know, the Bible, I think, is pretty clear that tithe is a tenth of your increase, meaning, you know, your income. And um, part of your, your taxes in reality, are a bill right along with your groceries and your gas or whatever else you pay. So I would believe you'd pay tithe on your gross and then, you know, you pay your other expenses. Um, now, I, <laughs> the reason I'm hesitating as I'm answering you this, you're probably thinking, oh, well, what do I do about all the past tithe? Maybe I haven't paid a full tithe on. I, I think you just start where you're at. But I believe God will bless you. And I know you're saying that it's, it's going to be hard to manage. You know, God promises in Malachi chapter three, um, that if we are faithful in paying a full tithe and offering to God, he will open for us the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing where there is not room enough to receive it. And, uh, yeah, I think tithe is just the bare minimum really, 
not only does the Bible speak of tithe, but also speaks of offerings. Now, no set amount is given for offerings, but as the Lord has blessed you, so you want to give towards the furtherance of the work. And uh, that principle is in the Bible, of course, both in the Old and the New Testament. And we have a study guide. It's called In God We Trust. And it deals with the subject of giving and tithe. We'll be happy to send it to anyone who calls and asks here in Canada or U.S. The number is uh, 800-835-6747. And again, you can ask for the study guide. It's called In God We Trust. And we'll be happy to send it to you. Yeah. I wonder if Don is listening now. We can try him again. Don in Texas. Are you there? Don, Don. Texas. Okay. Nope. nope. All right. We'll try Joe in Arizona. Joe, welcome to the program. Hi, how are you guys doing? Good. Thanks for calling in. Can you hear me? Yeah, loud and clear. Okay. So I guess my question is, between the difference of Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, um, the kind of creation in Genesis 1, it says that Elohim, which translates to God in the plural, um, it says spoke everything into existence on the first through sixth day. And in Genesis two, it mentions when God, the father or the Lord God, I'm sorry, that's what the Bible says. The Lord God created, uh, every tree and plant before it was in the earth. And it says it's just one day. And it's also reversed of Genesis one, because it says after he formed, uh, Adam out of the ground, then he formed the animals out of the ground and then brought them to Adam so he could give them names. So why is there a different uh, in the ter- terminology there? Is it possible that there are two different events? No, I think that you're just going to find, uh, you say, you're wondering, I guess, why is a plural form of God used in one passage and a more singular form in another? Is that your question? Are they, you're wondering because these different forms are used, are they different events? Well, yeah, well, it says God in the ordinary sense. And even at the end of Genesis 1, it talks about. Uh, Joe, you may have hit a mute button. You, we just lost you. Or did we, Joe, you yeah, there? I think Joe's. Joe, if you can, if you can get us, just check. Uh, somehow you might have hit. Joe, you there? Hit a mute button. Are you, can you hear me now? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, okay. Sorry. So I, I think we, yeah, I think we understand. Um, that you're, you're wondering why these different forms are used and are they different events? Yeah, and it says, it says when it says, let us make man in our image, the word image is Salem, which means it says vain show or a phantom. And in the second commandment, it says we shouldn't make images unto God. So I'm just wondering if, if there's a chance that there's a difference between those two and the first one might not actually be God, but it might be, I don't know, if it were angels or something, that it might have been Satan making. No, it's, yeah, there are other, there are other passages in the Bible where God says, you know, uh, the Lord created man in the beginning in the New Testament. There's several in the Old Testament as well. And you can get to Genesis 11 and God says the man has become like us to know good and evil. So, um, the Lord sometimes is interchangeable in the term that he's used. You know, um, a husband and wife are two different individuals, but they're one family. And I could refer to my wife and I, or I could refer to the bachelors and, and it could encompass uh, all five of the kids. So I wouldn't put too much stock in that. Now you said something about image and worship. The commandment doesn't say don't make an image because God later commands them to make different uh, representations. When they made the temple, they made 
cherubim and angels on top of the ark and angels on the walls. And Solomon was told to put oxen underneath the cart. And Moses said, make a bronze serpent. God says, do not make an image and bow down to it and worship it. First commandment says, worship the God. We are made in the image of God, but we're supposed to worship God, not ourselves. So, um, yeah, that's, it's all the one God it's talking about. I think just, uh, just to clarify, when you look at, uh, Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, it's not talking about two separate events. It's just an expansion of the same event. Additional details are added in chapter 2 that you don't see in chapter 1. All right, we've got Quentin listening in Texas. Quentin, welcome to the program. Hello, uh, can you hear me? Yes, we do. Um, I kind of got worried about this one the, during Judgment Day. You know, during the Judgment, yes. these people that Jesus spoke about, like... I do not know your name, even though you cast demons out of people. How do these people get to these? Uh, how did my worry is how how do these deceivers get to like? Do they go go to like uh, rapture or uh, tribulation? Survive the tribulation or death? I'm not sure, but it's kind of make me worry if I'm one of those people and. Well, the, the fact that you're worrying about it is probably a healthy thing that Jesus gives that warning, not just to you, Quint, but he gives it to all of us to make sure that we know him, that we have a personal relationship with him. It's not about just doing religious things. These people that say, Lord, Lord, we cast out devils. We did wonderful works. They went to church every week, ostensibly, but they didn't have a personal relationship where they were walking with God. And the Lord wants you to spend time in his word submitting to him every day, seeking his will, and just spend time to him like you, you know him and love him. And you won't have to worry about him declaring he doesn't know you when he comes. And of course, what he's describing here is the great judgment day um, where he separates the sheep from the goats. But um, you don't have to worry about that if you're spending time knowing him now. It is a it is a, a sobering warning for every believer when they read those words to, as Paul says, examine ourselves and make sure that we're in the faith and we do have a daily knowing relationship with Jesus. Uh, do you pray? Do you talk to him? Do you spend quality time thinking about him during the day? When you see other people, do you want to tell other people about God and his goodness? And um, those are just, you know, some of the tests you might apply. Thanks. Appreciate that. I'm wondering what we can send Quentin to encourage him. You know, we have that Three Steps to Heaven book. That's right. That's an excellent book. We'll be able to send that to you, Quentin, if you just call and ask. The number is 800-835-6747. And ask for the book Three Steps to Heaven. And we'll be happy to send it to you. Anyone listening in Canada or the U.S., just ask for that book. If you're outside of North America, you can read the book by going to the Amazing Facts website, just amazingfacts.org. And, you know, there is one other way that you can get these resources by just simply uh, dialing pound 250 on your smartphone and ask for Bible Answers Live and ask for the free offer, Three Steps to Heaven, you'll be able to receive it that way as well. Next caller that we have is Robert, listening in California. Robert, welcome to the program. Oh, thank you. How are you? We're wonderful. How are you doing? Oh, great. Thank you, Pastor Doug. My question is, um, I believe it's Revelation 4. I'm trying to find out. Can you help me? Um, well, tell us what the verse is and we'll try and help you find it. Okay, I believe it's Revelation 4, but it's about, and it may be in different chapters. I just want to know about the 24 elders 
that are part of the judgment throne, who they are, and if you could explain them. Yeah, very good. Revelation 4.10, so you are on the right track. And I think they're mentioned, uh, Pastor Ross probably knows better than me, they're mentioned probably four times in the Bible, I and think. And verse 4, Revelation 4, verse 4. 4, verse 4 also. Well, it's chapter 5. Yeah, so the 24 elders are uh, probably, now it's, it's a little bit mysterious, but they're probably representatives of unfallen worlds. Um, you can read where it says, there's a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. So these heavenly characters are presenting themselves at some formal heavenly meeting and Satan comes to represent the earth. Well, Adam was supposed to represent the earth, but he fell and he surrendered dominion to the enemy. Uh, Adam is called the son of God in Luke chapter three. So many believe that these are unfallen representatives uh, of our representatives of unfallen worlds, sinless worlds. Um, some have thought, well, maybe they're some of those that were resurrected when, when Jesus uh, ascended to heaven, but that wouldn't explain the passage in Job when that group uh, appeared and they existed before. So I don't know, Pastor Ross, thoughts on that? Yeah, we do have another verse in Isaiah chapter 24, verse 23. You don't always think of the 24 elders in Isaiah, but it's there. Isaiah 24, verse 23 says, Then the moon will be disgraced, the sun ashamed, for the Lord of hosts will reign on Mount Zion in Jerusalem, and before his elders gloriously. So here you have a reference in Isaiah to the elders, and in Revelation chapter 4, it tells us the elders are the 24 elders that are surrounding the throne of God. And as Pastor Doug mentioned, I think there's a close connection between the 24 elders and the sons of God that you read about in Job chapter 1 verse 6. They're sort of the representatives of these unfallen worlds, witnessing the great controversy playing out. And we have a book that is related. It's called Aliens or Adopted, Who Are the Sons of God? And we can send you a free copy of that. The number to call for that is 800-835-6747. And again, you can ask for the book. It's called Who Are the Sons of God? You can also dial pound 250 and say Bible Answers Live and then ask for the book Who Are the Sons of God? Next person that we have is Michael listening in Illinois. Michael, welcome to the program. Yeah, good evening, Pastor. Evening. I have a question about baptism. Okay. Uh, if I'm disabled, I can't be baptized. What, what am I supposed to do? All right, that's a good question. Uh, what if a person wants to come to the Lord and they can't be baptized for some physical reason? Now, first of all, um, I think there's some people that can be baptized. It, it might be difficult, but they can still happen. I remember this one dear lady, she asked me to come to her house and begged. She, she said she wanted so much to be baptized and she was in bed dying from cancer. And I said, sister, how, how are we going to do this? She said, my son is big and strong. She had shriveled to like a hundred pounds. He'll put me in the bathtub. And if you could just, you know, do the pronouncement, we did that. We baptized his sister uh, in the bathtub. And I've been in prisons where I've seen people get baptized in horse troughs. And in our church, we've carried people into a baptistry where you got two or three deacons helping carry a person in and carry them out and they're fine. Um, so, you know, if it can be done, you should try and do it because it's a command of the Lord. But what about the thief on the cross? He came to Jesus and he couldn't be baptized. He was nailed to a cross. He received credit for Jesus' baptism. See, Jesus did not die for his sin. He died for ours. Jesus was baptized, not for his sin, but as an example for us, and possibly also in behalf of those who couldn't be. 
Sometimes we're in a hospital and a person on their deathbed, they're hooked up all the hospital apparatus. They want to come to Jesus. We're going to say, that's too late. You can't get baptized. No, you, you say, yes, you can come to Jesus. And um, it's interesting in Mark 16, it says, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever believes not will be damned. He doesn't say, and is not baptized. So he, baptism is part of God's will. There are those who can't be because of a disability. Uh, I think God will give them credit for his baptism. But we should make every human effort. All right, very good. You might also enjoy that study guide or the book called Baptism Is yes. Really Necessary. And I think we might even address some of those specific questions that you have. To receive that, the book, uh, 800-835-6747. Ask for the book, Baptism Is It Really Necessary? You can also dial pound 250 and say Bible Answers Live. Ask for it that way as well. Thank you for your call, Michael. We've got Phil in New York. Phil, welcome to the program. Yeah, how you doing, guys? Thank you very much for taking my call. My question is, did Solomon's temple, the first Jewish temple, actually exist? Is it part of history or only part of mythology? Thank you. Appreciate that. Um, I do believe both that Solomon's uh, temple was uh, very real and that it did exist, and that there is archaeological evidence. Uh, I, and you may have been to Israel also, uh, Phil, but I've been there three times, and Pastor Ross and I were there together. It's probably been four years now. And we were taken on a tour down below the Western Wall, sometimes called the Wailing Wall, and they say, these are not the stones that were built by Herod the Great. These are some of the original stones that go back to Solomon's Temple. And so these are Jewish guides and uh, experts in antiquity, they're not members of our church that are uh, showing you these things. And they have quarries. They have quarries uh, that were used by Herod the Great when he did the reconstruction of Nehemiah's temple. And then they have quarries that they say, this is where the stones came from for Solomon's temple. Now, because you've got a threshing floor that was there first, and that's mentioned in the Bible, the threshing floor of Ornan. And then uh, Solomon's temple was built there. Nebuchadnezzar obliterated that. He carried off everything of value. Then when they rebuilt the city, they may have taken some of the stones from the original foundation. Uh, and then they built on top of that. Then that was destroyed by the Romans. And it says the Romans did not leave one stone upon another. And you can still see where some of those stones are thrown in a pile, huge stones at the base, uh, not far from the Western Wall. So yes, I believe Solomon's temple was there and there's an abundance of archeological evidence for that. So yeah, uh, it's very real. And uh, they've also found the stables of Solomon and a lot of other things that prove he really lived. He's not just a fable. All right, next caller that we have, Dean from California. Dean, welcome to the program. Thank you. Hey Dean, we've got about a minute. Can we do it? Uh, yes, I think so. Usually we end our prayer by saying, in Jesus' name I pray or we pray. If uh, like a little explanation of that, and then if someone prays in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit at the end of their prayer, would that be accurate or appropriate? Okay, good. Good question. Well, when we pray in Jesus' name, it means to not only pray in the mind and the spirit of Christ with love and forgiveness for others, but we're asking God to answer the prayers, not that we're worthy, but because of the worthiness of his son and the blood that his son has shed in our behalf. And so we're pleading Christ as our intercessor and substitute. And that gives uh, efficacy to our prayers. 
And I don't think that it's wrong to culminate your prayers by saying in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, but we are principally told to pray in the name of Jesus. Uh, Those who are regular listeners know that we broadcast on hundreds of stations, the internet, and on satellite. And because the time clocks of some of these different stations are different, satellite radio is a little different than land-based, we sign off in two stages. We'll say farewell to our satellite listeners. We're coming back in just a moment for two minutes of rapid-fire Bible questions. So stay tuned. Thank you for listening to today's broadcast. We hope you understand your Bible even better than before. Bible Answers Live is produced by Amazing Facts International, a faith-based ministry located in Granite Bay, California. Hello, friends, and welcome back to Bible Answers Live. And we're going to be taking some of your email questions. If you'd like to send us one of your uh, questions via email, the email address is just simply balquestions at amazingfacts.org. That's balquestions at amazingfacts.org. Pastor Doug, first question that we have, can you explain a little bit about what is it to be sealed or to be marked according to Revelation? Well, there's a difference between the mark of the beast and the seal of God. But technically, I guess you could argue that uh, um, both, there's a distinguishing difference. You read in, Re- in uh, Deuteronomy, it says, These words I command you this day shall be in your heart, and there'll be a sign on your hand and frontlets between your eyes. God wants his law in our heart, in our mind, in our actions, our hands. The Bible says, Grieve not the Holy Spirit wherewith you are sealed for the day of redemption. And Isaiah says in chapter 8 of Isaiah, verse 16, Seal the law among my disciples. The seal of God, they'll have the law of God in their hearts. And one of those laws begins with the word holy. And uh, God's people are going to be holy. Mark of the beast is having the laws of the beast where you're putting the laws of man ahead of the laws of God. This is the big battle in the last days. And we got a whole lesson on that. What is the mark of the beast? Time for another half a question. Yes, real quick. Um, Was Lazarus amongst those who were taken to heaven after the resurrection of Jesus? No, he probably was not part of the group you find in Matthew chapter 27. Uh, Lazarus continued to live even after um, Jesus ascended to heaven on earth. God bless, friends. Thanks so much for tuning in today. We appreciate your keeping the program on the air by making a donation at amazingfacts.org. This broadcast is a previously recorded episode. If you'd like answers to your Bible-related questions on the air, please call us next Sunday between 7 p.m. and 8 p.m. Pacific Time. To take advantage of the offers you've heard on this broadcast, call us at 800-835-6747 or visit our website at amazingfacts.org. Tune in next time for more Bible Answers Live, honest and accurate answers to your Bible questions. 